You're listening to the Ecological Podcast, all about our positive partnerships with horses and other animals through work and play. Your hosts are Rebecca Bayliss from Little Green Stables and Kate Blackmore from Ecological Positive Partnerships. Did you know, Becky, that we have a (laughs) Patreon site? Do we, Kate? We do! Oh, I love our Patreon site. I may be a little bit biased, but I think it's pretty awesome. Frickin' awesome! (laughs) So do you know what kind of content we have in there? Tell us. Go on, I'll tell you. So we have Forage Fridays, Muscle Mondays. We have all the sessions that you have with Trudy recorded and on there. All the behind the scenes stuff. The visits that I go do, for example, working with feral donkeys and how we get around that. All our workarounds, warts and all. Yeah. It's all there. Behaviour. Behaviour. We have forage. We have different species that we work with. We have... Fun little videos that we create on how to make herbal teas and stuff. Yeah, we have anatomy. We have enrichment ideas. Oh, there's tons. There is tons. There's lots and lots. And anybody that we interview as well, that goes on Patreon, doesn't it? Because you actually get to see their face. Yeah. On Zoom. Yeah. yeah. So our Shauna videos on there. Yeah. Absolutely. Our Heather Moffat one. Jesse Samson, Dr. Did you Emily Kisson is going on there. <laughs> <laughs> you just go to the top of the Patreon page and you can just search by the categories. So you can have training or targeting or stationary targeting. Loading. Loading. Loads of different stuff on there. It is only £8.33 a month. Yeah, for our Patreon site, which I think for the amount of content we get is great. And we have such a lovely group of patrons, but we want more people over, don't we? We We want to get the discussion started more. We do. And also our patrons will always get exclusive first choice to the events that we are holding and our CPD days. And they're in there too, actually, aren't they? They are. They are. We've got feature-length movies about feet and, and gut, gut biomes. Yeah, I know. Very so good. much content. So how can we get on... How can you find us on Patreon? Well, what you can do is just search for Little Green Stables and you will find it. And often, with our social media posts, we're linking into that Patreon site. So you can just find one of our social media posts too. Or just Google Patreon Little Green Stables. Hello, everyone. Uh, Today's podcast is a little bit special because, well, for many reasons. The first reason is that Becky is not here. So this is my first solo podcast hosting, and I've promised her I'll do a really, really good job of it. (laughs) So so I'm trying my, no pressure, so I'm trying my best. Now, let me set the scene for you. I am sat with the most beautiful view again in Switzerland mountains in front of me we've got horses around us and I am joined by the wonderful Sarah Johnson who is um out here with her beautiful horse Kenda who we've been working with so I'd like to welcome you first Sarah to the podcast thank you thank you for having me I know and thank you for coming on the podcast as well I really appreciate that um so Let's just talk a little bit about Kenda first, um, just so people, we set the scene for everybody about your beautiful, beautiful horse. And then we'll talk a little bit about what, um, how you got into positive reinforcement and also kind of how your journey's been so far, because it is so unique to everyone. And then we'll talk a little bit about the stuff we've been working on whilst we've been out here. Is that okay? Yep, sounds great. So let's introduce the beautiful Kenda first. 
Kenda. She is gorgeous. Yep. So Kenda is a seven-year-old mare. She's a sort of sports horse type. She should be a pony, but she's got too big. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, she's she's a lovely, lovely girl, and um, came to me with um, what I thought I was getting was not quite what I ended up getting. As always. Although I think maybe with hindsight, there were definitely some things I could have picked up on if I'd had the knowledge then that I had now. Um, but yeah, I sort of, I thought I was buying this, a, a, a green horse that was ready to bring on. And what I found I got, in fact, was a horse that was a little bit stressed out mm-hmm. and uh, only just in control of what was going on with her. So, of course, then when she came to me, that was another big change in her life. So it unraveled pretty quickly. Yes. Okay. And And how did, let's just go into how you got into, you know, into the positive reinforcement world because you have done you're you're a fantastic student and I know that you've done connection training big fan of Angelica Helisius yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry Angelica every time um and many many Trudy and many other people you know yeah. you but I'm I'm interested in in you telling the story of, of how you got into it because you're in Switzerland alone I am the only positive reinforcement trainer in the area it's felt like although I'm sure that's not actually the case but um yeah so basically the the traditional my my the only way I knew to handle her was the good old the BHS way and I very quickly found that that didn't work that Mm. escalate that pressure any type of pressure and she was already struggling to cope and it wasn't working so I needed to find another way and I think that the first thing I did was I was I had a bit of an issue with her coming out of the field um, and away from one particular gelding that was also very fussed when she left so I think the very first thing I did was I googled separation anxiety in horses and I think I came up with something um, that Warwick Schiller a YouTube video featuring Warwick Schiller Schiller And it was quite interesting, didn't really know what he was doing, didn't know anything about that. But that got me started in looking at then resolving what I thought at the time was just a very simple case of, okay, if I can get rid of the separation anxiety, (laughs) I'll be able to bring her in and then all the rest of this will go away. (laughs) But of course it, it didn't. But what I did then quickly find was the details for the fantastic Melanie Watson mm, um, of brilliant. Instinctive Horse Training. And so I contacted Melanie, again, thinking I had a very straightforward problem and uh, was very quickly told, well, actually, I think this might be slightly more than that. And Melanie was amazing. Um, and she gave me some very practical short-term things I could do with Kenda which worked in the short term but what also happened at that time which was brilliant timing was that uh, there was the positive equine conference that Jenny Eichner ran yes. um, and that was a, a conference that was free for participants and because of lockdown um, because I'm not sure if I've said that I bought Kenda in August 2020 she was my lockdown project fulfillment of a childhood dream <laughs> and over lockdown I finally had the time to persuade my husband that maybe it was the the time I could uh, could get her um so lockdown was really helpful for me because jenny ran the conference remotely i think it had been an in-person conference before and she was running this online conference and melanie was one of the speakers and she said to me i'm doing a spot at this conference and she said you might find a few things there that are useful for you Mm -hmm. and that's all she said and I, i have the utmost respect for her because she didn't push me down any particular road I knew nothing about positive reinforcement training at that time. 
and Melanie just very gently guided me in that direction and left me to see if that appealed to me or not. And it was through that conference that I got to hear about, amongst other things, connection training. And the format of the connection training program was perfect for me because, yes, I'm here in Switzerland. I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously everything is in a foreign language here as well. And sometimes you just want to do things in your own language. Yeah. And connection training was a fantastic format for someone who was working remotely. Um, and so I embarked on that um, in the October. So that connection training was how I got into positive reinforcement. Yes, absolutely. So you started off with Kenda uh, with the training um, through doing the videos, but you also did go out to Spain as well, didn't you? I went out to Spain about um, a year after I started. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I started the connection training program and probably as with a lot of people who start off on that journey, you think that it's a, a training method mm -hmm. and then almost instantly you realize that hang on this is not just how you handle the horse this is how is everything about how you manage your horse yeah as we now already know but if but that it's um I know you don't like the journey word but it is a no journey, I do it's, it's Trudy that it, doesn't <laughs> she's ruined it <laughs> you can say it as much she's not here I also think though that it's it's also like an awakening Yes. Because yes. suddenly your eyes are opened to all of these other things and because it makes you consider the emotions of the horse mm -hmm. and because it makes you go right back to basics and look at um, their emotions and, and then the, how the way they're kept influence those emotions, yes. you then start to look at everything. And so, of course, then you'll think, okay, am I satisfying the five freedoms? Yeah. And then you start to go a bit further. Am I providing an enriched environment? So not just do they have turnout and friends and ad lib forage, but actually, can I make that a little bit more exciting for her? Yeah, absolutely. Can I make that a bit more enriching? Mm -hmm. And that was actually for a horse that had lost trust in a lot of trust in humans at that point. Mm -hmm. um, were you excited about that journey or were, were you a bit like, oh, wow, this is all a bit much how did you feel about it all I mean it was pretty overwhelming at yeah. the start yeah because I think I found myself in a sort of limbo land mm. that was the problem I had really I was you had this knowledge but you weren't quite sure how to do it yeah that kind of thing yeah I knew that I couldn't do anything I couldn't handle her in the traditional way because I wasn't working but I didn't yet have the skills to do the new way yeah yeah so absolutely. I was in this limbo land um yeah, where I needed to learn and I mm -hmm. just, I felt as if I couldn't take on board that knowledge more quickly enough, really, because I felt that until I could do it, I couldn't do anything else. Yes, absolutely. And did you not do anything else? I did, well, I needed to build that trust with Kenda and, and build the relationship because she was still a new horse for me. We'd only been together for three months by this point. Yeah. So I needed to build the relationship, but I, I think that's another fantastic thing about the whole positive reinforcement world is that when I started to look at whether her needs were being met and started to realise the opportunities for enrichment and things like that, that was such a great way that I could spend time with her without needing to train, without needing yes. to know anything about training, um, and but build bonds and build her confidence as well. Mm -hmm. So that became our sort of little default go-to. It's so important, that work, though, as well, that the almost 
not doing as well like no intentional goals or anything just just having that real strong bond like you I don't think you can ever do enough of that you know absolutely is is 100% needed before you even before you start the training really you've got to you've got to get the management right you've got to get things um into a good place before you start really else you're going to end up in a in a world of of mess yeah. <laughs> and it's such a good it's good for de-spooking and desensitization yeah, yeah. to things so um it was excellent for that and and then through that process you build confidence in them as well so um and that definitely also was a way of starting to empower her a little bit mm-hmm. um because as I said she definitely had been a horse that had had been putting cross ties and had a lot of stuff done to her and suddenly I was offering her a little bit of choice and a little mm. bit of well okay I've put some nice things on that little piece of plastic over there but you know mm-hmm. you can either come and investigate it or not it's mm-hmm. fine and how was she about that was she tentative to start off with or did she did you find that she just kind of took to the enrichment stuff because it is quite a big jump going from being told what to do all the time, where to be and, and all that stuff to suddenly like having choice. Yeah. It can, can sometimes be a little, um, you know, cause a little bit of stress. But did you find that she just was happy to? Yeah, I think she was. Um, she's always been a fairly brave horse, I think. Um, and so she yeah she and I think her stomach overruled (laughs) everything so I think the biggest thing for her was she was suspicious of coming into the to what I called the training area um I had to work out where she was comfortable and that was in the field yeah so my only option really was to train her in the field yeah and plus I was on a very traditional livery yard and I was forbidden from working at liberty in the manege there was there were two huge manages beautiful training spaces but I was not allowed to train at liberty in them that's so So, for insurance reasons I'm guessing so that you don't annoy the other horses oh oh, okay uh, because you know to have a horse running I mean yeah who knows but it's one of the rules was horses are not allowed to be at liberty um so uh so I and I needed to not have ropes I needed to have her at liberty yeah yeah so it was a sort of combination of the two things and she was happy in the field that was where she was most relaxed yeah so um I would create an area in the field and she quite quickly learned that she could pass under the wire to get in and pass under the wire to get out which was hugely empowering for her as well yeah so I would set up and then just wait for her sit and wait wait for her to come and how long inevitably she would come eventually eventually yeah. yeah There were a few times when I'd just sit in that field and she'd be watching me from afar and going, oh, I don't know if I feel it today. <laughs> but eventually, once she started to realise that there were nice things in there, that, oh, yeah. actually, she's got bits of apple and carrot. Oh, okay. Perhaps I'll come in and have a look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really good that you had that patience to wait as well because I know that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because suddenly you're, you're doing things in a whole different way and then you find yourself sat in a sit field and you're like, you're like what, what am I doing? <laughs> Did you have a few little conversations with yourself going, nope, this is, this is okay? <laughs> there were a few times. I think I've even got on my Instagram feed, I think I've got a picture of a lonely cone. And one day where it was just me and the cone... And she was having none of it for whatever reason. She was having none of it that day and I was just in the field. And I think I, I and that was one of the the sort of processes that I had to go through as well. That yeah. no, I'm not going to go and fetch her. She she can see clearly that I'm here 
and she's you know she so she can come or she can not and knowing how important that was yeah particularly for given her background how important it was that she had that choice to come and interact with me and that she could say no and that there would be no repercussions for that yeah and however inwardly frustrating it was (laughs) because I was all fired up in though you know it was the early stages I was fired up and I'd, yeah. I had to practice what I was going to do and get my delivery right in front of the mirror so I turn up for the training and be like right okay today we're going to be doing this <laughs> you get all set up and then no no we're not no just me and the cone again <laughs> <laughs> all alone in Switzerland with my cone <laughs> in a field with all the the traditional liveries going backwards and forwards on their hacks with their yeah. horses and Staring just looking at, you at going, me, what the hell is going, she that, that English woman, <laughs> she has definitely lost the plot now. <laughs> what made you, <laughs> do you think having access to these online courses and all, uh, and the people online is what made you feel a little bit part of a community to help you stick on the path? Because really, that's like a breaking point time for a lot of people, I think. You know, a lot of people wouldn't have sat in the field and they were just going, this is ridiculous and, you know gone back to other ways so where did you find support because I I know there's loads of people that are um, all over the world and you know find themselves in your situation um, in random places with no one else around and everybody thinks they're crazy Um, yeah where did you find the the support for that we um, I'd set up a little Instagram account when I first bought Kenda expecting it to look incredibly different to how it now looks (laughs) Um, but I started um, to then find other people on the Instagram, in the Instagram world, who were doing similar things, and slowly those little feelers went out. Mm-hmm. And so I've now built um, a really great community of like-minded people around me, um, and that was absolutely invaluable. Um, and then I can't remember whether it was the January that you guys started your podcast, but I do remember that your podcast came along. Also, just at that really pivotal moment when I was really just getting into this world, it was all new and I was seeking resources. Mm. And, um, and so when I found you guys and what resonated particularly with you guys, apart from the fact that your podcast was so great, was the fact that Becky was also at a similar stage to me. She had a yeah. young horse that she was just starting. And so she was ahead of me, but near enough to where I was that yeah. I could identify yeah with it yeah so that also was great I think there's a lot of support now on Facebook and but Instagram Mm. I prefer more um yeah yeah yeah. I like what um okay so let's so you had Kenda and obviously so you're sat there with this cone so it takes a little while before she starts (laughs) coming out yeah and then so how did you progress from there so once she realized once she realized that there were no um, ramifications if she didn't come and the f- she realised that there was a bit of food involved she, had, she started to learn to trust the process a little bit and so she would be curious as much as anything else um, and so generally when I turned up we actually got, slightly got to a point where I would turn up in the field and she would actually instantly be there mm-hmm and always almost was a little bit too much and we yeah. start to get a bit impatient mm-hmm. and bearing in mind I had to set up a corral to work in in the field I actually would sometimes find that she'd be right behind me and I'd actually be in a rush to get set up 
so I had I and I didn't know quite how to manage that so that wasn't necessarily always so easy she was quite mm. impatient to get mm. going um well suddenly you become so, this amazing thing <laughs> yeah the car's here she already knows that you're there and um yeah yeah that is so I found that the her buy-in was quite good and then sometimes it would just be that I wouldn't maybe pace it quite right with the sessions because I was still learning what to do and so either she'd get a bit frustrated and then disappear yeah um and go right okay I've had enough now and I didn't there's so many more refine refinement of the process that I now realize that I could have built in but I didn't know then things like the passive pause that um I could have used more yes well I mean it's same here (laughs) if I I would have loved to have known that when I was back in the day you know because I I love the passive pause that Angelica um you know it does the quarter I was brilliant 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 to be um way to work um so yeah so that so you taught some basic behaviors didn't you you had your little repertoire going I did yeah so it was just really about getting her to walk on with me to halt Mm -hmm. um to touch a target a stationary target and a handheld target um and um and then a backup was also one of those early behaviours, which was incredibly sticky. Yes. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. The backup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of those behaviours that was just really quite difficult for her. And maybe, uh, yeah, I struggled to work out how to teach it. It just seemed to be moving her feet back just seemed to be something she wasn't comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there no particular physical reason why, but something psychologically about it Mm -hmm. and I wanted to avoid my hand on her chest so I wanted to try and find a way Mm -hmm. to get her to come back without me using any sort of pressure at all that was quite this worked much better yeah yeah absolutely um okay so you so you did that and then you so one of the things that happened as I started the positive reinforcement training one of the things that happened which I subsequently have found out is quite common is that we started to lose a lot of the the little things that we had been able to do before okay so and perhaps the biggest one was Kenda's rejection of the head collar yeah and so I got to the point where I couldn't put her head collar on um and so I think probably about six months in I actually momentarily questioned whether I was doing the right thing because I felt as if she was going backwards as far as the, as much as she was coming forwards in some respects she was going backwards in others and I had got from the point where I could actually put her head collar on and take her out of the field and take her for a short walk to the point where I couldn't actually put the head collar on at all yeah. and although her rejection it was subtle and and someone who wasn't doing positive reinforcement training would have just got that head collar on her yeah absolutely. because all it was was a step back and a lifting of the head yeah and you could so easily have put your hand around her nose and brought her head down. I got that head yeah. collar on. Yeah. But um, I knew that that was a sign of her not being happy. And so we then entered a very long period where she was effectively field bound because I couldn't take her out of the field. Yeah. And the final part of that was when she started to bolt back to the field when she was out with me. She, And I guess now that that meant that she was suddenly felt comfortable enough that she could say to me, actually, this is all too much and I need to go back. Mm-hmm. But it, it meant that she would pull away from me and run back. And that happened mm-hmm. twice. And I knew I had to stop that. And I think I think that's a really common thing that happens. I mean, you know, we've discussed this and it, we, it happens a lot of conquest. You know, we get these bomb proof horses and then... 
we kind of let them have a voice and they're not bombproof at all you know they're very shut down and and um so when you do start giving them a voice that is one of the things that comes with it um and you questioning whether the training is right is absolutely i think i think so many people can resonate with that actually and it's did you at any point how did you work through that I had a fundamental belief that I was doing the right that this was the right way to go Mm. but I it there was the realization that um I I needed to have help I needed to have more help Mm -hmm. I needed to have more resources and to get more support with what I was doing because I've been working through all of this completely on my own and yes getting support from listening to podcasts and looking at what other people are doing on Instagram and then we're coming up to the time where we had to go through the MOOP yeah so um and so we got to the point where we could get um I could get the head collar on her um it took a long time and I had to break it down and do it in a completely different way so how can you just quickly Mm. summarize how you did that yeah, so I think Kenda rejected the head collar because the head collar symbolised control by someone else and her being made to do something that she was not happy doing. Yeah. So whether that was having her feet done um, or being clipped or whatever it had been, it had always been done in a head collar mm-hmm. and with a rope. And so as I started to undo all those bound boundaries for her and give her a voice she started to say actually bloody hate this head collar because every time that goes on it's bad news yeah yeah um so I had to um and I I started with the seat my CT coach we know we started to look at okay can we get her just to target the head collar and we were sort of still working towards getting it on in a normal way can she put her nose in herself, self-haltering? Mm-hmm. But I was start finding that it was taking such a long time. It was mm. just, it, it was such a hard, it was such an ingrained problem. It was just taking too long. And so in the end, we did it completely differently. And I stood on the other side of her. So on her right side, I undid all the straps and I started just putting the head collar over her ears. Mm-hmm. Could I do that? And I found that, oh, actually... Without fairly fairly quickly without too much problem, yes, I could. Yeah, put it on her ears, um, and so from that we then very quickly were able to get to the point where okay, can I hold the straps closed from still on the wrong side? So can I just hold the strap closed, undo it, and great. And my my cue for it was that I would hold the head collar out for her, and if she was happy, she would then turn her head and sort of almost put her ears into it. Brilliant. Um, but I I would just hold it still. Um, and so that's still how I do it now. So, so that was the way. And now I still put it on over her ears first. But now I can then go round to the side and do those straps up because you can't find a head collar that doesn't do up on the wrong side, on the left side. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So you still got to cross over, but she's now fine with that. But yeah, that seemed to be the key. Was it rather than nose in, and the traditional left side. Yeah. Ears in right hand side and that was just enough yeah to make it different and I found that with a lot of things with tacking up as well like it, it is um it's worked to completely start on the other side yeah. <laughs> because there's all these you know um negative associations with that left side because everything's done from that left side I actually remember I think someone I, I can't remember why we do it from the left side I think it was something to do with carrying 
a sword or something. Sword or something. Yeah, yeah like that. I mean, come on. What? <laughs> we're still <laughs> we're still there. Like, it's if crazy. If you still need to carry a sword, do it from <laughs> yeah, the left. But yeah, if you don't, exactly. do it from the right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And actually, there's a there's a, a, a really there's a, a a great person out there who does a lot to do with horse anatomy, and she actually advocates that from you should equally mount from both sides to prevent the strain on the body. So yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't. Yeah, that makes total sense, yeah, doesn't we it? We shouldn't be so transfixed with having to always get up and do things from the left. I know, but we are, aren't but we? we? Are. We'll break those barriers. We've always done it like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, just the way it's done. Um, okay, so cool. So you've got the head collar on. So you're in. You're feeling pretty good by that point. Yeah, starting to think as if I might be getting somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Starting to see the light. Um, Were you able to come getting... out of the field then? Or... So that's what I was building up to really at that point. So I got to the point where the head collar com- could come on okay, and it still took quite a long time to just. You know, I do lots of sessions where the head collar is on, but it didn't mean anything. Yeah, the head collar was on. It's like, oh, your head collar's going on, but it's nothing else changes. You don't have to perform. No, we're still doing what we did yesterday without it. Nothing is changed. Um, And so I was working up to um, getting the lead rope on with the idea that I would then start to get out the field again because it would it had been quite a long time by that point since she'd last come out that field. Yeah. So yeah, that was my ultimate aim. And there's been a lot of things going on in the meantime as well in terms of getting her right, sorting out some of the other physical things that were going on with her, like ulcers. So, um, you know, there was a a lot of other stuff going on at the same time. Yeah. um, Which also meant that we needed to, you know, we needed to take things slowly. But yeah, that was what I was working up to. Yeah. Could we get the head collar on and start to come out the field again? Yes. (laughs) And did you reach that goal? Not quite. No. No, so, we didn't get to that point. And what, why did you not do you think? Um, I think because I needed, I needed to know that I had a good... When I first started to lead her again with the head collar, and I found that she would default to her previous behaviour, which would be dodge behind me and barge off in the way she wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So um, I needed to get rid of that... Yeah. not allow that to come back in yeah. and so um we I needed to uh, yeah I just needed to build up that leading again so I did a few different things like worked just with the head collar uh, just with the lead rope could she just have the lead rope around her neck and we just walk off and sometimes I might have my hand on the lead rope and sometimes not mm-hmm. but not attached to the head collar and I also formed a sort of cordeo out of um, baling twine. <laughs> yeah, and I so sometimes I pop that round her neck and say, look, you know, can we do the same thing? But I'll just hold, sometimes I'll hold the cordeo, sometimes I won't. So mm-hmm. I was trying to get that idea in her mind that when we were walking together, sometimes I might have a, a physical contact with her in some way, but it wouldn't mean anything. Yeah. And then put the head collar and the lead rope together. Yeah. So I think it was more that it just took a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that, where did you... So by this point, we we're at earlier this year. Yeah. And then the big move. Okay. The yeah, big I'm change like... <laughs> came. Yes. yes. The big change. So, um, yeah, I was on a really traditional livery yard, about 50-odd horses, of which only eight lived out. Um, and, um, and you know, it, it's ostensibly, it did meet her needs, um, but it was far from perfect and there was a lot of there was a lot of stress for me in terms of 
whether there was always enough hay in the field. There was quite a lot of aggression amongst the herd. It was a, a relatively stable herd, but there was quite a lot of aggression because the hay would frequently run out. Yeah. And um, it was a very, you know, set policy. Well, we only deliver the hay at 2.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> so if they've run out at 10 o'clock, well, I'm coming in four and a half hours. Yeah. Um, but they may have run out at five o'clock, you know, in this morning. We don't know when they ran out, but they've got no hay. And yeah. they're now... Um, fighting with each other and that was of course that must have been that was so stressful particularly in the winter when I knew you know if I knew that it was going to be really cold overnight Mm. bearing in mind where we are you know it could be minus five minus six overnight and the horses needed the hay to keep warm yeah so it was a constant source of stress about whether or not they'd delivered enough hay that day whether Mm. or not they had enough hay and she was at that point uh, that yard was how far away from you was that yard um that yard was about 20 20 minutes 25 minutes from home yeah okay yeah okay and then um we got the news that the yard was being sold which had been in the offing for a while but there had been no buyer and suddenly there was a buyer and the and we started to hear through the grapevine on the yard that perhaps a buyer had been found and initially there was a little bit of confusion about whether or not that meant that we would be able to stay at all Mm. and then whether or not we would be able to stay with the turnout or whether they would either say no there's no more permanent turnout or uh, you have to be boxed um the horses have to go into the boxes like the other 46 horses on that yard which I obviously didn't want so I was thinking about what to do and then just by chance as often these things are I saw a little advert on Facebook and it was for where we are now hold up can't keep me away from the podcast for long. We're going to pause this conversation now because there's so much more to listen to and we want to keep you guys hungry for more. So end of part one, part two coming up next week. If you'd like to make contact with either Kate or myself, you can contact us via Facebook. We are Little Green Stables or Ecological Positive Partnerships. Or you can check me out, Becky, on my website, www.littlegreenstables.com. We'd really like to make our podcast interactive. So if you have any questions or anything you'd like us to discuss, then that would be great. So send us a message either via our website or via our Facebook, Instagram and YouTube channels. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you.